really, what a, what a week, right? What a way to start the new year. <laughs> Driving back home last Sunday, after being away on holiday, the bad news started to pour in, and it continued throughout the week. COVID case after COVID case, among friends, near and far, family members in labor while being COVID positive, how not cool, couples separating, surgeries postponed, the death of loved ones, those joyfully anticipated times of connecting with people moved online or just postponed altogether. Really, it felt like life has been disrupted at every turn. And then, of course, on Thursday, the day celebrated actually as Epiphany in the Church Universal, that day that marks the manifestation of Christ among the Gentiles, we also acknowledged the one-year anniversary of the Capitol insurrection, an event fueled by Christian nationalism that does not align with our theology as followers of Jesus. These are some strange times, during which many things seem not to quite align. They're confusing, they're trying, they're disorienting times. Every decision seems to be questioned. Every moment feels uncertain. Feelings can be polar opposite at the same time and fluctuate really rapidly. We hold a lot. We carry a lot. Sometimes running and sometimes just hobbling along. Today, if nothing else, hear this, that you are not alone in these times. In keeping our faith traditions today and gathering together, we declare God is liberator. The weight of death and oppressive forces do not have the final word in our lives. Gathering for worship even behind masks where you can't see when I am smiling, or at least it's not very clear, is actually a celebration of the freedom that we have in Christ, who is empowering and inviting us to join in God's liberating work today in our households, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and in the community and world. Today we're going to jump into a new sermon series. But before we take a look at our scriptures, I would like to remind us where we've been so we can begin to see where we're headed together in this season. We have been on a trajectory considering what it means to be people connected to land and history and people in a decolonized way. We have journeyed through Advent noticing the incarnation as particularity Christ made flesh in the person of Jesus who came at a particular time and among particular people in a particular place and as a part of the story that is the way of love. At Christmas, of course, we celebrated the birth of Jesus who enfleshed the good news of God with us. As the late black theologian and professor James Cone reminded us in his work, God of the Oppressed, this good news and this gospel of Jesus is always connected to the oppressed of the land and their struggles for liberation. 
Now in the new year, we're going to continue our tradition that we've had these last couple of years of walking through one of the Gospels as we grow in our identity as followers of Jesus. This year, we're going to focus on the Gospel of Luke, paying attention to what it means to follow Jesus under colonizer rule and following Jesus on the good road. This is a series that's actually going to take us through Easter. And I don't remember when that is. I think it's April 16th for some reason. That's sticking out in my mind. It's not important, but it feels like time is, I don't know, these days. So maybe that will ground us a little bit, um, just a little bit. As we journey through Luke's account of the gospel narrative, following Jesus who lived under the colonizing rule of the Romans, we will consider how his life speaks to our theology, which is, as Cohn puts it, political language, because what he says is what people think about God and Jesus Christ in the church cannot be separated from their own social and political status in any given society. And to open our imaginations to a new way forward together, we are going to be utilizing the First Nations version of the New Testament. Some of you have seen this, some of you have not. It is really hard to get our hands on. So two things, spoiler alert, we have purchased a copy for every household at Trinity. However, they are so hard to get a hold of they are, because they are out of stock, um, they're not here yet. Best case scenario is like maybe in two weeks from now. So hold tight, but know that hopefully they're coming bef you know, sometime before Easter would be great. Um, all that to say, we will be reading from this version within our gatherings. And while you don't have one at home necessarily, I would encourage you to read along in whatever version is your go-to at home and to watch kind of the schedule of like what we're reading and to read in between even the text, okay? So that's the spoiler alert. Additionally, we're going to be forming seasonal small groups around the content from Dominique Dubois Gilliard's book called Subversive Witness. It is scripture's call to leverage privilege. If you've not seen the book, I have a copy over here. You're welcome to, to thumb through. Dominique states that the book seeks to name, address, and deconstruct the spiritual strongholds arresting the church and distorting our witness. I think you'll agree that this is pertinent as we consider our identity as followers of Jesus in this season. So hopefully you will be able to join a group or um, read along, but more details about groups are coming as we figure out some of those ways of gathering in this season. So, so let us hear our text for today. We're going to pick up right where we left off at Christmas Eve, Luke chapter 2 verse 21. We're actually going to go all the way through the end of the chapter, but it's super long, so I'm going to stop at verse 40 because I don't want to read for 15 minutes. Um, I'm not a great reader out loud, so I apologize, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, I want to encourage you, though, to just listen. And if you're not familiar with this version, it does use different language for people and for places and for the marking of time. And so I will do my best to share uh, the translations of that, but once I say a name once, I probably won't repeat it again, because that gets a little old. <laughs> so, just listen. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. Eight days after the birth of their son, in keeping with the traditional cutting of the flesh ceremony, they named him Creator Sets Free, 
who is Jesus. The name given them by the spirit messenger before the child was born. Then, about one, month, one moon or month later, the time came for them to present their child to the great spirit in the sacred village of peace, which is Jerusalem. This was for their cleansing ceremony, an ancient tradition from the lawgiver drawn from the water, who is Moses, who said, every male child who is first to open the womb will be holy in the great spirit's sight. Bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to be burned with fire as a sweet smelling smoke offering. This shows they were poor. For this was the offering a poor family was permitted to bring according to tribal law. When they arrived at the sacred lodge and village of peace, which is Jerusalem, they were welcomed by creator Hears, who is Simeon, a respected elder who did what was right in the great spirit's sight and waited patiently for him to fulfill his promises to the tribes of wrestles with creator or Israel. The Holy Spirit rested on him and told him he would not die until he saw creator's chosen one with his own eyes. As creator hears, followed the guidance of the spirit, he arrived at the sacred lodge just in time to see he gives sons, who is Joseph, and bitter tears, who is Mary, bringing their child for the traditional ceremony given in their tribal law. Creator hears, took the child into his arms and spoke words of blessing over him. Oh, great father, he prayed, I now see with my own eyes the one you have prepared for all nations, the one who will heal our broken ways and set us free. He will make a clear path for all people to see and bring honor to the tribes of wrestles with creator. Now, just as you have said, I can cross over in peace. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said. So creator hears, spoke blessing words over them also. He then turned to bitter tears and spoke softly in her ear. This child has been chosen for the fall and rising of many in the tribes of wrestles with creator. He will be a sign that will be spoken against, exposing the thoughts of many. His voice softened as she looked sadly into his eyes. He said to her, even your own spirit will be pierced through like a sharp arrow. As they pondered his words, a holy woman named Woman of Goodwill, who was Anna, welcomed them. She was an elder from the tribe of Walks with a Glad Heart and the daughter of Face of Creator. She had married at a young age and lived with her husband for seven winters, but now had been a widow for 84 winters. She served the great spirit at his sacred lodge night and day with fasting and many prayers. When she saw the child, she gave thanks to creator and began telling about the child to all who were waiting for creator to fulfill the promises he had made to the sacred village of peace. After they performed all the ceremonies that creator's law required, they returned to circle of nations or Galilee to their home in seed planter village, which is Nazareth. In this village, the child grew strong in his spirit and was filled with wisdom for the blessing of the great spirit was resting upon him. This is the word of the Lord. There is a lot here in this text. 
And I would like it to mainly speak for itself, but I want to point out just a couple of things and observations. First of all, we see faithful people keeping traditions as they hold their identity as God's people. We see Mary and Joseph, who on the eighth day, of course, they name their child and they confirm the covenant made with God through this traditional cutting of the flesh ceremony. And then about one moon or month later, they take Jesus to Jerusalem for the ancient traditional and cleansing ceremony that would be not only for Mary after giving birth, but, but making clear the freedom associated with the Exodus, where the people were liberated from Egyptian captivity and slavery. Keeping these traditions indicate that Jesus will operate from within God's purposes. And then we have Simeon and Anna, who also keep traditions, speaking words of blessing over Jesus and welcoming the family, telling about the child to all who are waiting for Creator to fulfill the promises made. These are traditions that stand against the forces of oppression and declare belonging not to the empire, but to the kingdom of God. They are both a celebration of the freedom found in God and praise for that which was to come. The second thing is that we see familiar and recurrent journeys taken. Sometimes these journeys are forced, as it was the case, we know, from the story of pregnant Mary and Joseph having to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which, by the way, is just a little south of Jerusalem. Of course, they had traveled by force because of the census being taken by the Romans because they wanted to know, of course, how much they could charge in taxes throughout the empire. And other times, nearly the same journey would be taken out of religious tradition, as was the case with their return to Jerusalem when Jesus was one month old. And then if we were to keep reading in this text, we would see that they continued to return and we hear a story about Jesus being 12 years old and coming along for that annual Passover celebration. We should understand that this journey was one that they would have taken annually, okay? I want to pause and for us to wonder just a moment about the journey itself. Imagine this journey not taken in the ancient times equivalent of some grand land rover, but on foot. According to Google Maps, this would be about a 91 mile trek, or I think they're, you know, optimistic. It says a 31 hour walk, okay? That's a long time. And the temperatures in this area would be ranging from 70s during the day to 40s at night with some possible rain during the season. So imagine that walk, at best 31 hours. Imagine what you'd feel like in your body, what you'd see, what you might smell, what you might hear or possibly taste. Imagine who might be your companions on that journey. First, as a pregnant one, carrying within your body this baby, Jesus, in a journey required, not chosen. Imagine another journey with a one-month-old in tow, Hopefully this time you're passing the baby back and forth. But who knows? Maybe strapped to you in some fashion. Imagine the annual journey that you would take 
with other caravanners who are going for this annual celebration into Jerusalem at Passover. And eventually, you're taking this journey, not with a toddler, which I, I mean, you can't see my expression very well, but like, oh my gosh, I don't think so. Um, but eventually you take this journey with a 12-year-old who obviously can walk and be alongside of you on their own two feet. And never mind the journey that you take when you accidentally left your child in Jerusalem and didn't even realize it. So there's that, that journey. Oops. What I have experienced is that after multiple journeys on the same routes, whether those are literal routes or metaphorical routes, if you will, is that some patterns begin to emerge. We learn new things along even the most familiar paths. Among those known and expected markers along the way, we take in new sights and sounds and smells, and maybe most striking, we take those journeys with differing companions. As we hold and keep the traditions that we have, I think we also grow in appreciation as we see things differently and catch a glimpse of the story each time as it unfolds. More and more that we learn about the place and the land and the people. At each returning on this journey, the story becomes more full or whole and sometimes redeemed. And I think the good road begins to emerge, challenging us and shaping us, empowering us and reminding us that God is always moving and at work among us, extending an invitation to join on the good road. I'm going to jump ahead in our text and read just a couple of verses after Jesus has been, you know, maybe accidentally left behind in Jerusalem when he's 12 and uh, where they find him after looking for him. Verses 46 through 49. After searching for three days, they found him at Creator's Ceremonial Lodge. He was sitting with the elders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard his answers were amazed at his wisdom and understanding of the spiritual ways. His parents were surprised and at a loss for words, but then his mother scolded him. Son, why have you treated us this way? Your father and I were very worried, and our hearts were heavy as we looked everywhere for you. Why were you looking everywhere for me, he asked. I thought you would know to look for me here, in my father's lodge, doing what he sent me to do. Jesus remained behind, talking with the elders, listening and asking questions, which is putting him on an equal footing with the Jewish teachers of the day and clearly aligning himself with the authority held in fulfilling God's purposes. I found it really interesting that one commentator noted that this is the first time in Luke's gospel account that Jesus takes an active role in the narrative. Of course, these Jewish teachers understand the ways of God from their own experience, but remember, they too live under colonizer rule. So surely they have taken on and become complicit, if you will, in perpetuating colonizing culture. I can only imagine that it would be hard for them to hear what this young 
Jesus had to say, just as it can be for us, because it requires something of us. And it is hard to swallow when we've invested so much in the status quo. It is here that Jesus begins to expose the thoughts of many, as Simeon prophesied 12 years prior. What Simeon prayed remains for us today. Jesus makes a clear path, or what the First Nations version will begin to call the good road for all people. Jesus is the one who will heal our broken ways and set us free. As followers of Jesus, we too are taken back to the Father's Lodge, doing what we are sent to do in the midst of being caught in colonizing culture now. And in the never-ending cycles of a pandemic, the same old oppressive structures and systems rearing their heads day to day, with family dysfunctions emerging and the uncertainties of life ever-present. Here with Jesus, our minds are changed too. Because following Jesus, we experience truth. It is a truth we all need to hear today in these confusing and disorienting and trying times. To both challenge and inspire, I want to leave us with one last word from James Cone. He says this, Truth is divine action entering into our lives and creating the human action of liberation. Truth enables us to dance and live to the rhythm of freedom in our lives as we struggle to be who we are. May we experience this truth and let it shape who we are as followers of Jesus in the days ahead in this social and political landscape where God continues to be on the side of the oppressed. And may it propel us forward in our mission, fostering a haven of belonging where wanderers and wanderers gather to discover and embody the love of Jesus in the world. Amen.